I wonder if you've ever heard someone say something along these lines. I don't believe in faith or religion. I only trust what can be proven with scientific data. There are many variations of that kind of statement, but it's fairly abundant in our world and has been for a long time. But there's a problem with it. It is a self-defeating statement because the person making it claims that the only things in life that are trustworthy are the kinds of things that can be proven with science. But the claim itself cannot be proven scientifically. It is not a statement of science, but of philosophy. One simply has to take it at face value. It is, therefore, a faith claim. This person has chosen to place their faith only in what scientists can prove with research and observation. Now, every one of us has to make this crucial decision in our life. We have to choose what we will trust as the foundational bedrock authority for truth. There is always an act of faith involved in this choice. I choose to believe the Scriptures are the Word of God because the Scriptures tell me that they are the Word of God. Now, some would say that this is circular reasoning. But at the most fundamental level, we all have to engage in circular reasoning. The person who places their faith only in what can be measured is doing precisely the same thing as the person who places their faith in the Bible. I point that out because today we're going to consider the authority of Scripture, and I don't want you to think of this merely as a mental exercise. Choosing what will be the foundational authority of your life is inherently an act of your will. One could argue that this choice may be the most significant one you will make in your life because everything else flows from it. If the Bible is the supreme authority in my life, that will affect everything else. It will affect my relationship with God and with others. It will impact the choices I make, the kind of person I strive to be, and it will affect my eternal destiny. So this is a crucial question, not only for followers of Christ, but for every person to determine what they will allow to be the ultimate authority in their life. Now, here's how I want to define this attribute. The authority of Scripture means that God's Word always has the final word in everything to which it speaks. God's Word always has the final word in everything to which it speaks. In other words, Scripture alone is the supreme authority for all of life. There was a Latin slogan that came out of the Protestant Reformation, sola scriptura, or scripture alone. And this doctrine has been called the formal principle of the Reformation. Here's what that means practically. It means that the Bible is kind of like the referee that has the final say in every dispute. Because God has all authority in heaven and on earth, His Word is the highest authority in every area to which it speaks. Now, let me point out something that I've been very careful not to say so far. I have not said that the Bible is the only authority. Perhaps you would feel better if I did, but I think I'm happy with my choice of words. When I defined the sufficiency of Scripture a few weeks ago, I said that it does not mean we should go off on our own with our Bibles and ignore everyone and everything else. God intends for us to hear from His Word within the context of the church. And there is truth we can glean from creation. When we talk about this attribute, the authority of Scripture, we're clarifying that while we can learn from the church and while we can learn from nature, the Bible always has the last word. It is the supreme authority 
to which all other sources of truth are subject. Here's how the Westminster Confession of Faith describes this attribute of God's Word. This is from chapter 1, paragraph 4. The authority of the Holy Scripture, because of which it ought to be believed and obeyed, does not depend upon the testimony of any man or church, but entirely upon God, its author, who is truth itself. Therefore, it is to be received as the Word of God. So there you have it. The authority of Scripture does not depend upon any man or church, but entirely upon God. In other words, the Bible's authority does not come from the fact that the church says it, it is authoritative. The Bible's authority comes from God alone. To put it another way, the Scriptures do not get their authority from the church. The church gets its authority from the Scriptures. The Bible has ultimate authority because it has God for its author. In the next paragraph, the confession clarifies how the Bible's supreme authority relates to other subordinate authorities. This is from chapter 1, paragraph 5. It says, We may be moved and induced by the testimony of the church to a high and reverent esteem for the Holy Scripture. The heavenly character of its content, the efficacy of its doctrine, the majesty of its style, the agreement of all its parts, the scope of the whole, which is to give glory to God, the full disclosure it makes of the only way of man's salvation, its many other incomparable excellencies, and its entire perfection, are arguments by which it gives evidence that it is the Word of God. Nevertheless, our full persuasion and assurance of its infallible truth and divine authority is from the inward work of the Holy Spirit bearing witness by and with the Word in our hearts. Now, that's a long and wordy paragraph, so let me break it down a bit. It begins by saying, We may be moved and induced by the testimony of the church to a high and reverent esteem for the Holy Scripture. Now, here's how we can put that in simple terms. There may be people within the church. Maybe it's a pastor or a Sunday school teacher for whom you have such respect that when you see how they treasure God's Word, it moves you to do the same. Now, this could be someone you know personally, again, like a pastor or Sunday school teacher or just someone you respect, like a family member. Or it could be someone you've only read about. For instance, imagine you read a story from church history about someone who so trusted God's Word and relied on its authority even when it cost them tremendously, even when they lost their status or even their life. Might that not move us to say, wow, what a precious book this is? To say that the Bible is the supreme authority does not mean we should ignore the testimony of the church. To do so would be unloving, because we would be turning a deaf ear toward our brothers and sisters in Christ. In the next sentence, the confession describes what some call the self-attestation of Scripture. That's a fancy way of saying that the Bible itself attests that it is the Word of God. It does this in a number of ways. The Confession says, "...the heavenly character of its content, the efficacy of its doctrine, the majesty of its style, the agreement of all its parts, the scope of the whole, which is to give glory to God, the full disclosure it makes of the only way of man's salvation, its many other incomparable excellencies, and its entire perfection." In other words, it is reasonable to read the Bible with an open mind and to come away saying, 
there is something genuinely special about this book. It was written over so many hundreds of years by different human authors in different places, even in different languages, yet it all tells a coherent, cohesive story. The parts all agree with one another. There is something truly heavenly about this book. Several weeks ago, I explained the transmission of Scripture and why it's reasonable for us to trust that what we have in our translations today is faithful to what was in the original manuscripts written thousands of years ago. It is possible to be moved by explanations like that, to be encouraged by archaeological data and that sort of thing. But then the confession draws this conclusion. Nevertheless, our full persuasion and assurance of its infallible truth and divine authority is from the inward work of the Holy Spirit, bearing witness by and with the Word in our hearts. In other words, when we read the Bible, the Holy Spirit bears witness by and with the Word in our hearts that what we are reading is the Word of God, that it is infallible truth, and that it has divine authority. Only God Himself can attest to the authority of Scripture without undermining its authority or His authority. Because if the Bible is God's Word, then its authority is His authority. When the Holy Spirit bears witness in our hearts that this is the Word of God, that is the ultimate assurance of its infallible truth and divine authority. Now, I want to take a step back and point out something that you may have noticed and that may seem contradictory to you, and I'm not unaware of it. I'm saying, on the one hand, that the Bible is the supreme authority in every area to which it speaks, but I keep quoting from the Westminster Confession of Faith, which is not Scripture. But this is where I want to circle back to something I said earlier. Saying that the Bible is our supreme authority is not the same as saying that it is our only authority. Some people take the authority of Scripture to an unhealthy extreme. They deny or at least downplay the importance of science, for example. There is not necessarily any reason for us to pit the two against one another. In fact, the Bible instructs us to marvel at creation and what it reveals about God. Psalm 19 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In other words, creation itself speaks. It does not speak as clearly as Scripture, that's for sure. But there are truths about God that we can learn from the things He has made. In fact, think about all the times that the Bible uses created things as illustrations to explain spiritual truths. Think of the parables that Jesus tells about seed cast into a field, about leaven and bread, about treasures being dug up and hidden and so on. Think about the Proverbs, which often appeal to things in creation to help us learn wisdom. Proverbs 6 says, Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. 
without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber, and want like an armed man. None of this means that creation is on par with God's Word, but the point is that the Bible itself invites and commands us to look at creation, to look even at something as small as an ant, to gain what we today call common sense, but which the Bible calls wisdom. Still others take the authority of Scripture to an unhealthy extreme by denying or downplaying the importance of the church and of shared confessions. You may have heard the phrase, no creed but the Bible. The problem with that declaration is that it is self-defeating, just like someone saying that only what can be proven scientifically is true. No creed but the Bible is itself a kind of creedal statement. Throughout history, Christians have found it helpful and even necessary to summarize the teachings of Scripture in various ways. And one of the primary reasons they have done this is to guard against false teaching. Simply put, there are many people who claim to believe the Bible and may even quote or read from Scripture, but who teach things that are contrary to God's Word. And the reason Christians have chosen this practice of summarizing biblical teachings in creeds and confessions and catechisms and books and devotionals and all of these other resources, the reason we've done this is because the Bible itself commends to us the practice of developing patterns of sound teaching that we can easily transmit to others. For example, Romans 6.17, But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. 2 Thessalonians 2.15 Stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. And 2 Timothy 1 verses 13 and 14 Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. So the Bible itself commends to us the practice of developing patterns of sound teaching that we can easily entrust to others that they may then be able to entrust even to others. The key is that we keep everything in its proper place. No human teaching, whether it is in the form of a confession or a devotional book or a, a hymn or song or a pastor's teaching in a local church, no human teaching is on the same level of authority as the Bible. But it is possible for us to learn a great deal from human teaching about how to interpret and apply the Scriptures faithfully. We keep all human teaching subject to the authority of God's Word while also loving one another enough to listen when a Spirit-filled follower of Christ seeks to encourage us with something from that Word. In the end, it is not enough for us merely to affirm the Bible's supreme authority. We must submit to it. 
as God says in Revelation chapter 3, verse 3, Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Henderson Baptist Church. If you'd like more information about our church, you can visit us on Facebook or check out our website, hendersonbaptist.org.